Welcome to the first Aztecs Hoopla podcast. I'm Jay Posner, sports editor of the San Diego Union-Tribune, and I'm joined, as I will be regularly, by Mark Ziegler, who is our beat writer here at the Union-Tribune for the Aztecs. The undefeated, fourth-ranked, 24-0 now, Mark? Is that what it is? 24-0. You think you'd ever be saying that? No. I, I, or I, any basketball <laughs> team in this day and age? <laughs> That's what I was about to ask you, was how, how, how unbelievable has this season been I mean I I know you thought the Aztecs would be good this year but there's no one and I'm I'm assuming that that includes Brian Dutcher and and everyone else uh, inside the program that could have imagined they would be 24 and0 at this point no absolutely not I mean they had a really really hard non-conference schedule in fact they tried to even make it a little bit harder uh, and they couldn't get one extra game but they you know who who when you see your second game is at BYU and you're, I, I can't remember what the, the record was. I think they'd won. They were three and thirty-one, maybe there, all time. You can't expect to be undefeated even after the second game. And then they had a, you know, a, a tough uh, couple games in in Las Vegas. Um, and you know, and just knowing the recent history of their struggles early in the season, the way they'd set up their team was to get better, but uh, they weren't necessarily very good in November. Um, and now this year they were very, very good in November and December and January. Now in February, so. Yeah, that they, if you gave them truth serum, they would they would admit that this was you know not something they expected. And the the toughest game, as I remember, or at least the one that they were the closest to losing, was the San Jose State game. Have there been any others in this stretch of twenty four where where there was a a moment, even just a moment, where you thought, okay, this is the end? Yeah, several times. I mean, even at Colorado State, um, they played there. Um, Four days before they played San Jose State in their conference opener, they're at Fort Collins. They're at altitude. It was a, it's kind of a dead environment. You know, it's your first conference game, and they was tied with seven minutes to go, and they're in altitude. And yes, usually when the altitude kicks in, and 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 they end up winning by twenty, uh, and just completely dominated down the stretch. And it just came out of nowhere. Uh, you know, Agueca uh, Rope had been hurt in that game, uh, and uh, Nathan Mensa was sick in that game. So they were kind of down numbers, and you just kind of thought, oh, this could be it. So I mean, there's been a couple like that. Um, but recently, they've, they've, you almost have the feeling now, you've seen it a few times, even if it's close, that something's going to happen. And, you know, against Air Force, it was a three-point game, uh, and then a five-point game, and then, and then all of a sudden Matt Mitchell hits a three falling out of bounds the corner with two seconds left in the shot clock. Um, and you almost expect something like that to happen now. Is it sort of a mentality that you've seen develop on this team now, and you've been around a couple of the Aztecs, other really good teams in the past that went to the Sweet 16, the Kawhi Leonard team, the Xavier Thames team. Has this team started to remind you of those teams in, in terms of a, almost a mentality of, you know, we're just not going to lose? Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. Mostly the um, the 2010-11 team with, with Kawhi Leonard, and, and really the key on that team was DJ Gay. Right. Uh, and if you want to draw parallels, you can with KJ Fagan. I mean, he's—they're both guys who who don't lead the team in scoring, but can score, can take big shots when you need them. Um, but they're—they never get screened on defense, and they take care of the ball and get their team teammates into offense. And 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 when it comes to that mentality, they they they, they kind of spread that across the team. And that team practice very very hard that 2010-11 team they, they almost had no bad practices they had a couple b plus practices but every practice was an a minus or an a 
largely because of guys like DJK who just kept driving them and, and, and keeping them in check if they started to uh, go a little wayward. And this team is very similar in that regard. And, and that's where the mentality comes from. It's more of a practice mentality that we are not going to take a day off, whether it's a game practice, road game, home game, anything. Uh, and, and this team certainly has that. And does that come from uh, guys like KJ? Does it come from the coaching staff? I mean, what, what, where do you think the, the key is to, to making that happen for this team as opposed to, you know, teams where that doesn't happen and you, you have C practices and B-minus games and that sort of thing? It's a little bit of both. I think you, ha- you have to have good leaders, and, and this program, quite frankly, hasn't had great leaders. It doesn't mean they didn't have good players, but you know, a guy like Jalen McDaniel is a very good player, obviously. He's, he's uh, signed an NBA contract, but he wasn't a great leader, and that's nothing wrong with him. He just, that's just his personality. This team does have leaders, particularly a guy like KJ is a natural leader, and he's, he's taken that on. DJ Gay was, but it's also just being older. team is a veteran, mature team. It's been through the basketball wars last year's team had eight freshmen and sophomores on it. And, and I mean, even, you know, I think that that's probably true in, in most sports, even back when I was coaching high school basketball and people would say, well, what would you rather have, you know, talented, really talented freshman or sophomore or just seniors? And I'd say, I just want seniors, you know, and, and it's because they've been through it and they understand what needs to be done. They're more professional about it. And I think that's a lot of what you're seeing here. Uh, it certainly was in the beginning of the season. That's how they got off to a good start. But that's kind of keeping – you know, understanding the, the old cliche about one game at a time uh, is really the way you have to approach a basketball season of 30 games. And, and it's harder to do that when you're young. But when you're older and you've been through it a couple times, it's, it's a lot easier and, and, and you can really see that. I'm sure we'll talk about this more as it gets closer. But over the weekend, the NCAA came out with its preliminary uh, seedings for the tournament. And I guess the good news was the Aztecs came out as a number one seed, and there was also some bad news that the Aztecs were a number one seed. Why don't you, for people who might have missed that, why don't you explain exactly what happened there and, and what it could mean going forward? So for the last three years, this is the fourth year they've done it, the selection committee meets, they meet throughout the year, but they meet five weeks out from Selection Sunday, and they just kind of pick the top 16 teams and seed them, you know, on the one seed line, two seed line, three seed line, four seed line. And, and it's just I think it's probably to help them kind of get through the process and, and then have an idea of where the best teams are. And, and, and historically, it really hasn't changed very much. Nine of the 12 uh, number one seeds have remained that way in the last three years. And the, and the three number one seeds that did not stay number one were number twos. So it, it's pretty close. And what they do is they take each seed line and then they rank within that, that little seed line, the four teams, and they rank them one to four. And the way they decide where you go in the second weekend of the tournament, uh, it's what region you go to is you go to the one closest to you. So in this case, Baylor was the number one overall seed and the closest regional was Houston. And then Kansas was the number two overall and the closest regional to them was Indianapolis. And then it came down to Gonzaga and San Diego State. And, and they said it was razor thin. It was really close. The resumes, if you, if you stack them up side by side, are very, very similar. They're both mid-major programs, don't have very strong leagues. Uh, played a lot of tougher games early in the season, um, and they chose Gonzaga ahead of San Diego State. So that allowed Gonzaga to stay in the West at Staples Center in Los Angeles. And then you get to San Diego State, and the only regional left is Madison Square Garden in New York. And so that's how they got shipped out. And, and, and uh, you know, the, the statistic that uh, I'm not sure it's a really fair one because there haven't been a ton of 
of number one seeds from the West that have been in this position, but no, uh, in the history of the 80-year history of the tournament, uh, no Pacific Coast uh, or Pacific Time Zone team has reached the Final Four coming out of the East Regional, and I'm sure it's a very small sample size, but it's a hard thing to do. Uh, to travel across country and play teams that probably will have more fans, or definitely will have more fans and stronger fan base. Uh, and so as things stand right now, that's what San Diego State would be looking at. But there's no, And the thing is, the Aztecs have said, uh, Brian Dutcher's talked about how he'd prefer to stay in L.A., even if it meant being a number two seed. But I guess the problem is you can't, you can't turn down the one seed, right? I mean, they, don't, it, no. they, they won't allow you to say, you know what? We'll pass. It's almost like in the draft. Like we'll we'll pass, and and we'll take the two seed in L.A. I'm guessing that no one has probably ever wanted to do that, or maybe they have. I mean, there might be teams in the East that, because teams from the East seem to get sent out here as one seeds on a regular basis, and maybe they would say, "Oh, I'd rather be a two. But I, I guess that would be a pretty big uh, a pretty big Pandora's box if the NCAA was going to start allowing that to happen. So the Aztecs don't really have a choice here. They have to go where they're, where they're set. Although you did make a, a, a little bit of a case in your most recent story that not necessarily a case, but a question, would the Aztecs be better off losing a game, getting a two seed and staying in the West? Uh, obviously, they're not going to start tanking games, but what's the argument for, for losing a game at this point? Well, I might take two. The, the one thing the selection committee said is the gap between the fourth overall team, which was San Diego State, and the fifth overall team, which in this case was Duke, uh, is pretty large at this point. And that was before And that was before Duke sucked on Saturday night against yeah. Carolina and, <laughs> and, should, and, should, and should have lost. Right, right. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, it, it might take more than one loss. It might take two losses for them to get bumped down to that two-seed line, or it might take somebody doing something incredible, running the table in a, in a – in a power conference, winning a bunch of road games and then winning their conference tournament to jump up and pass them if they only if San Diego State only had one loss. But that's really the only way, short of a Gonzaga loss. And there's two ways to get to Los Angeles. One is to pass Gonzaga and and be a one seed and go to Los Angeles, and that's going to take a Gonzaga loss. Uh, you know, now that Gonzaga is ahead of San Diego State, Gonzaga has a, a tougher uh, strength of schedule. They have BYU on the road. They have St. Mary's at home. They'll play one or possibly both of them in the conference tournament. Uh, and San Diego State doesn't have anybody of that caliber, any any top 40 teams left. Uh, and so uh, it's going to take a Gonzaga loss. The best shot of that is at BYU on February 22nd. Now, if, if Gonzaga wins out, the only way they can really get to Los Angeles is to be a two-seed, and that would require probably, I think, two losses on San Diego State's part. Uh, and again, the players were asked about that today. They're not, I mean, no player's going to say, oh, yeah, let's, let's lose a couple right. games. I mean, they just want to win. And so do the coaches. And I think the way they're looking at it is this, and I think the way fans should look at it is this. If they run the table and they go 32-0, and uh, that's just a huge accomplishment. I mean, it's so hard to do in right. college basketball, particularly with the parity. Uh, no matter what happens in the NCAA tournament, that's going to stand alone and, 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 and give this team its place in history. Uh, and if you don't and you lose a game or two and you get knocked down to the two-seed and you go to L.A., then you go to L.A. But as you pointed out, they have absolutely no control over this. Uh, it, it's up to the, the committee, and the committee has, has made it very clear. They've almost, in so many words, said, yeah, that probably wouldn't be ideal for to send a team from San Diego all the way across country instead of a two-hour bus ride to Staples Center. But the seeds are the seeds, and we have to maintain the integrity of the seeding process, and we will. Right, because, I mean, the other alternative at this point is sending Gonzaga from Spokane to New York. So that's not, you know, that's not a, probably a great alternative 
for them either. But I, I do think, and I'm glad you brought that up because I was thinking about it, you know, to go 32-0 and would be quite an accomplishment for any team, and I'm sure these guys would love to, you know, be able to have that uh, forever. And I'm, obviously they'd want to turn it into 38-0 and and, and have a national title. But um, looking ahead briefly right before we go, um, this week New Mexico on Tuesday night here at Viejas Arena, the Aztecs just beat New Mexico by what seemed to be like 60 points a couple weeks ago. I don't, <laughs> what, I don't know, what was it, 17 to nothing? Uh, to, yeah, they to, opened 17 nothing and led, led in the 30s. Uh, almost laid, in, 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 and they ended up being the fourth uh, largest margin defeat uh, by a New Mexico team in the pit. Um, and, and they had a shot at getting the, the all-time, I think, was 36, and they were right there with about six, seven minutes to go and, then, and, and didn't expand the lead anymore. Uh, but you're right, they're, they're, uh, they almost blew them out. You know, what's interesting about this game is that this is not the same New Mexico team. Now, when they played New Mexico at the pit, New Mexico's missing four starters. Uh, this time, two of them are back, uh, one from injury, one from suspension uh, for hosting a party in which a softball player got shot. And, in fact, Paul Weir, their coach, had a, a rather unfortunate line that I just saw after their last game. They were talking about the return of these two players and, and how they go out and, and draw the best defenders and, and the other players who had been starting you know, now get weaker defenders and can do more. And he said, yeah, they kind of have to go out there and take a bullet. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Which is probably not what you want to say when one of your players oh, uh, no. hosted a party and two people got shot in the leg. So uh, luckily nobody got – It was they were non-life-threatening. But anyway, they're, they're a different – they're a completely different team with Vance Jackson, who, who is a, a big wing. Someone San Diego State actually did recruit uh, as a transfer from UConn. He can shoot it from deep. And then Jaquan Lyle, who's an Ohio State transfer and, and the host of this infamous party, he's a very he, he can play point guard at six six, uh, great distributor, can score himself. Uh, they they just kind of with those two guys just kind of isolate you and go one on one a little bit. So that they could be a dangerous team, particularly on short rest, which is what San Diego State's going to have coming back from Air Force on on Saturday night and then playing on Tuesday. Right, and then uh, a longer rest going into the the second game this week uh, at Boise State. What does that look like on uh, on paper, at least? What kind of team does Boise have, and what kind of environment is it to uh, uh, to play up there? I know they don't. I don't think they have a blue court uh, like <laughs> like they do with the blue turf. But what is uh, uh, last thing? What's it like for them to play for a team to have to play up there? Well, they've struggled up there in the last few years. They've had they they've they've taken some pretty uh, bad losses up there, twenty point losses. Um, Taco Bell Arena is. Uh, is one of the bigger arenas in in the conference. Uh, it's got two levels. Uh, the fans are right on top of you. They sold it out last year, and I think the year before as well. Um, in fact, Leon Rice, their their uh, coach, said that he would wade across the Boise River in the middle of winter if they uh, if they sold it out once. Another time, I think he said he'd ride a horse or something. I mean, he does these crazy gimmicks and he gets it done. But when it's sold out or close to sold out, it's a it's a tough atmosphere. And, you know, there's a little bit of a rivalry now brewing between San Diego State and Boise, more because of football, but because of the anxiety over Boise getting the special TV deal and more money than the rest of the conference. And I think San Diego State fans resent that quite a bit. And uh, and Boise fans resent that San Diego State resents that. So it's uh, uh, it, it's a, there's a there's a definitely electricity in that game, and I think that's going to be a tough one for them. Uh, they at least will have some rest and be able to, you know, to scout them. They matched up very well with them in San Diego and really shut them down. 
um, shut down their best players, uh, and we're up over 20 at the half. But it'll be a tricky game up there, and, and I think if, if they're going to lose one, I think that is most likely the one that they would lose before the conference tournament. All right. Well, we'll see what happens this week, and I'm glad everyone joined us here for the uh, for the first of our Aztecs uh, podcast, and we'll come back next week. Aztecs don't play in the middle of the week, but we'll come back at the start of the week. Next week, right after the holiday, we'll talk about what happened uh, this week and what lies ahead. And until then, everyone, have a great week. Thanks. <laughs>